now conclude our study of the profound question, what do we know about the holiness of God from the Bible? In our consideration of the greatest of all biblical statements, God is love, we saw the summary of the essence of God's moral character. Love is not an emotion merely, but a state of good willing, a benevolent intention to be impartial toward all, a choice of the highest well-being of all creatures as an ultimate end. This state of life is worthy of veneration and praise, and thus the scriptures describe God as holy in the great austerity of his being, as holy creatures in heaven are constantly declaring, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Under our fifth heading, we were reading scriptures that set forth and describe the holiness that God commands man to walk in. Since the same words are used, the same meanings must be intended. Therefore, if man's holiness is a right state of action, this affords an additional evidence that God's holiness is also a state of action in conformity to the great realm of truth, reigning fully developed in the divine mind. We next read Romans 7 and verse 12, also verse 14. The Apostle Paul was given to state the great principle of the nature of holiness as right action. Here we read, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So the law is holy, according to the apostles' definition. In the twelfth chapter of Romans, we have that great statement of consecration that Christians are to abide in. Verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So to present your bodies a living sacrifice, was a state of holiness which is acceptable to God. It is not an unnatural state, but a reasonable service. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 13, we have a frequent reference to the term holy ones or saints as applied to Christians or those who have been pardoned and restored to God in the forsaking of sin. It was not some sort of a position, but was an actuality of life in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There we read, And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard of by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. So the Christians were called thy saints, or thy holy ones, as the possessions of God. Again, we have this same terminology in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, 
but of peace, as in all churches of the saints, or as in all churches of the holy ones. So Christians are called saints or holy ones. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul wrote this important epistle to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. The saints were faithful. This is one group referred to and not two. Likewise, the apostle wrote his epistle to the Colossians. As we read in chapter 1, verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Here again, the structure requires one group as being addressed. In the 15th chapter of Revelation and verse 3, God is called thou king of saints with the reason given for the unending veneration of the redeemed in heaven that just and true are all the ways of God. And they sing a song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, we read that it was the plan and purpose of God that all men should be holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, if men are living according to the ultimate intention of virtue and love, they are holy and without blame. According as he has chosen us in him, we read before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, verse 27, we read concerning the church, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So God designed that his true church should be a holy church and a happy church. In Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 and 13, we read about the elect of God and that they are holy and beloved and are admonished to put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. In Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, Peter is prophesying the destruction of this material world that men hold so dear, but the Christian is to live in all holy conversation or behavior and godliness. There we read, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the great day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So the Christian hope is indeed a precious one. A manner of life is recognizing the supremacy of God and the equal welfare of our fellow men. This was holy and godly, all that God asks of us. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 5, 
we read about his holy apostles and prophets as the designation applied to God's faithful servants. We also have this elsewhere. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, we have this great foundational expression of the origin of the word of God, the Bible. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, holy men of God, they were holy because they were sincere in their service of God at any cost. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 19, we are to yield our members as servants to righteousness, unto holiness. Holiness is a term describing a walk in righteousness by the grace of God. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Again in the 22nd verse, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So in sincere serving God, we have our fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7, we read that God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Here again, holiness is a pathway of virtue, not a static something lodging somewhere in our personalities back of our wills. But in Hebrews 12 and verse 14, we have a great summary of the demands of the Christian as to just what the nature of the true Christian life is. There we read, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So holiness is mandatory. It is a must in salvation. It is something which one possesses when he is acting in a certain way. It is an energetic manner of life we may render. Peace, keep on continually pursuing with all, and the holiness, or sanctification, apart from which no one shall see the Lord. But in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 11, we read of the tragic fact that the day of opportunity of being transformed by the glorious gospel of Christ will someday be over. Here we have a double parallel which will forever remain, a barrier. On the one hand, those who are unjust and filthy in God's sight because of their selfish manner of life, even though respectable among men. On the other hand, those who are righteous and holy. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. Their voluntary conformity to the ways of God and the transformation of the Holy Spirit through vital faith in the death of Christ for their sins has qualified them to feel at home and happy in the very presence of God in the glorious eternity to come. In heaven, 
those who have turned to God with all repentance, been transformed by the grace of God, they shall live for the same ultimate end, the highest well-being of all. God conforms himself to this great virtuous end, and so does man, as he is adjusted and restored to God. Holiness is an active and happy state. Would you feel at home in such a state, my listening friend? Thus in the last place we see that holiness is a dynamic state, not a static state. It is a voluntary conformity of life, a choice of free will to deny selfishness and supreme self-interest and be devoted to the highest well-being and happiness of all beings. God is love or has always been in happy conformity to the great moral light of his reason. In him is no darkness at all, we read, no covering up of any of his actions. God is holy because he is love. May we renounce our selfishness and join with God in his worthy devotion, be transformed by his mercy and grace, and live with him forever. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're indeed thankful for this study from thy word which we have been able to conduct by thy grace and thy mercy, and how we thank thee that thou art the great God of love, the great God of dependable moral character, and because of thy great love thou art holy. O oh, may many turn from all sin that's offensive to thee, come to Jesus Christ by faith, find forgiveness, restoration, renewal of life, and to go on to live with thee forever. In Jesus' name, amen.